Let's do this. We are small but mighty today. So we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We've been in the New Man series, but the last couple of weeks we've been really focused on one thing. Did God really say? That's the whole premise here, because we have to understand um, this spiritual warfare concept that we're putting into this series. Spiritual warfare is important to understand. It's also very important to, well, let's put it this way. We need to stay biblical with it, okay? There are a lot of things that are out there that are completely unbiblical. Now, some of them have gone by the wayside, but it was, it was ironic. Um, for one thing, let me put it this way. Um, there were seven sermons that were sent to me this last week of other pastors teaching on the very subject that we're teaching on, ironically. Like, they just, people just said, hey, check this out, see what you think. And they're all talking about the same stuff we are, which is not uncommon. You see that a lot. Um, but the other thing was, is somebody sent me a, a sermon from Brother Hagen from 1991 addressing many of the issues that we're talking about here of getting away from the Bible and putting our own spin on things. And he was dealing with stuff in the spiritual warfare thing. If you guys remember back from the 80s and the 90s, those of you that have been around at least in the, the, the charismatic movement, they were, they were renting airplanes and skyscrapers to get up into the high places to do battle with the spiritual forces. They would wear fatigues. And they would do all sorts of crazy... There was entire ministries built around this thing. Okay, So we can get wacky with this stuff. But we have, to, we have to keep it simple. Because the thing that we have to understand more than anything is that yes, we are doing spiritual warfare, but the war has already been won. We're in battle, no question about it. But we've got to deal with things differently because the enemy's been defeated. He just hasn't given up yet. And so when we look at this, we look at the concept is did God really say... Because that's what we saw in Genesis 3. And if you trace that concept all the way through, every time in the Bible that people get off, it is because they're questioning what God said. I mean, would, can we put it this way? If we just did what God said, would not life be simpler and better? I don't know about simpler. I mean, we've got it pretty simple here in the U.S. If we did what God said, we might be living in a tent in New Guinea somewhere or something. So... Let's take that for what it's worth. But, but the thing is, is guys, we, we always look at the Bible and we're like, well, God, I know this is what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. Because we can't just take the word in its simplest form and say, this is what that means. And we get all sorts of wild ideas about these other things. We read this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is Paul writing to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's given a command, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And that's the world we live in today. And why was Paul warning Timothy about that 2,000 years ago? Because it was a problem then. It was a problem before then. This has been going on. This is nothing new. You know, when it tells him to preach the word, this is something that most pastors today, evangelists and preachers in general, need to hear. Because they don't preach the word anymore. They preach things that make you happy. They preach things that make you feel better. It's more of a TED talk with the Bible verse mixed in every once in a while. That's really what today's sermons have become. I remember I was doing a, a service one time, and it was with a group of different churches. It was an ecclesiastical thing where we got all these churches coming together, and I was the main speaker at this one. And um, 
the guy had sent me, I can't remember what the service was or anything like that, but he sent me these, um, some different scriptures they'd used in the past at this, and he said, but you certainly can put different or more scriptures in your homily if you want. Now, to my defense, I had to look up what a homily meant because I had never used that term before. But I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, you're giving me permission to preach out of the Bible. Well, thank you very much, as if there's anything else we should be preaching. Because me giving you my opinion about something is completely irrelevant if it is not grounded in the Word. You know, and this is what we get all the time. You know, I, I, I go to these different conferences and things like that, and they're always talking about, oh, you know, here's how you can have your best marriage, the sermon series. And they, they, these things are all over the internet. They sell these things, these packages, these packaged sermons. It's got all the notes, it's got the scriptures, it's got the artwork, it's got everything you need. It's a sermon in a box. And they wouldn't be making them if people weren't buying them, right? So it's like you'll have. 30 pages from this entire series of notes and have like three Bible verses in it. Because what are they doing? They're talking things to make you feel better. I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm here to help you get closer to God. I'm here to help you be more obedient. The same goes for me. I mean, I want you to feel good when you leave a service, but that is not my goal. Because sometimes you don't need to feel good when you leave a service. You need to feel convicted. So if I'm just here to make you feel good, I'm not doing the things that, that Paul told Timothy to convince, rebuke, and exhort. Those are all parts of the, the, the process. And then in Acts 20, we read this one. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. That means it belongs to Him. So we're watching it, but it is His. It's not ours. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So therefore, you need to watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He spoke to them exhaustively on this subject. You see, that's where we're at today. We have people rising up in the body of Christ who are taking people away from the Scripture because they begin to question the Scripture. We talked about guys like Rob Bell. We talked about guys like Carlton Pearson and many, many others that have gone this direction, that have gotten off base. I'm not talking about little nuances and maybe in theology, like we believe this part and they believe that part, you know, but... but Ultimately, the core thing that Jesus died for our sins and we can be born again and need to be born again, those are the essentials. Everything else is kind of ancillary. But these guys have gone away from the essentials. And it all goes back to, did God really say? The question comes down to this, is if this is the case, how did they get off? Because they all began speaking truth. They all started in the same place. How on earth did they get off base? How did a guy like William Branham, for those of you that know who he was, he was around in the 40s, 50s, I think 60s is when he died. I can't remember exactly. A mighty evangelist, thousands of people healed by his ministry. Very mild-mannered gentleman. How do you start off leading people to the Lord, healing thousands of people, all of these different wonderful things by the Spirit of God, and then you get to the point where you believe that you are Elijah incarnated, you deny the Trinity, that basically that it's all just Jesus. He is all God and that's it. There is nothing else. And that the fact that you convince people that you are going to rise from the grave. How do you get there? Because you started in a good spot. How did you end up in a, such a bad spot? And I could go a name and name and name. It's like, how on earth did you start in this place and end up clear over there? Because you've got to be thinking, it's like, okay, here's somebody who's trained in the Word. They're educated. They know what Scripture says. So how do they get off base? 
And that's what we're going to begin to look at today. We need to be able to use discernment. You guys are going to get thoughts in your head, and they'll be like, well, did God say this? Or somebody will say something to you that will make you begin to question God. What are the, some of the things that we question God on today? Well, is it really God's will to heal people? I mean, can we expect that? Is it God's will for you to not be broke? I mean, can we expect God's provision? And we'll question it. We'll question healing. We'll question all sorts of things about God. You know what we don't question? Is it really God's will for us to be saved? The one thing that we don't seem to part with is the fact, oh yeah, we're born again, we're in, we're good. For whatever reason that is, we tend to oftentimes just like, yeah, I'm good with God, that's okay. Because why? We don't look in the mirror and say, okay, maybe there are things that are off. But then we'll get other people that will come in and say, okay, you know, in order to be uh, born again or be right with God, you've got to do these different things. So again, we're coming back to the point, is, is that what God said? And of course, it is not what God said. You see, we get off, but how do we get off? We've got to understand the way that the enemy works so we've looked at some real-world example in our era, in our time, that is going on right now today. We did it the last couple of weeks. But now we're going to begin to transition to how did they get off? Because this applies to us. This can happen to any of us. Let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. This again is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. If you don't know much about the Corinthian church, they were a little, little wacky. They needed a lot of correction. It says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, what is he saying here? In other words, he is the one that has led this church to the Lord. These people are a result of his ministry. Okay? I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with that. Now stop here for a minute. Look what he went back to. What is the thing that he is using as just like that happened, this is what can happen to you. As the serpent deceived Eve. How did he do that? Did God really say? You see what, he's, what, what Paul is showing here? He's like, guys, this has been going on from the beginning. This is why he's warning them. He's like, I'm concerned for you. Because just like the serpent, and we know who that was, deceived Eve, so may you. But how does he deceive? Look what he says. As the serpent deceived Eve, we're in verse 3, by his craftiness, now that craftiness can be uh, his, his plotting, his, his mischievousness, all that stuff. So your minds may be corrupted. So what's he referencing here? It's our mind, right? That's what he said, your mind. Not your acts, your mind may be corrupted. From what? Okay, with the simplicity that is in Christ. Is Christ simple? Is the concept of the gospel simple? It really is. It really is. According to Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died according to the Scripture, was buried, and three days later raised again according to the Scripture. That is the Gospel. And then in Romans, he says, to be born again, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. How simple is that? It is simple, right? Not complicated. You don't even have to stand on one leg when you do it. It's really simple. Who makes it complicated? We do. 
We put all these things in place. Oh, if you're going to do that. So then what he goes on, he says, now, if he who comes, he being a person, whatever, but we're still going back to the mind. He preaches another Jesus, he, or you receive a different spirit, or a different gospel. I'm afraid if this happens, you may put up with it. Why? Because as the serpent deceived Eve, he's going after your mind. He's going to convince you that did God really say this? If it's not simplicity of Christ, then it's not God. So here we go. We jump down to verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. We are as in the apostles, that we are one speaking on behalf of God. For such are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. They're transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So you see the connection he's making. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers are also transforming themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now look what he just said here. By doing what he's doing, he's going to continue to do. He's going to continue to write. He's going to continue to teach. He's going to convince, rebuke, and exhort what he told Timothy to do. I'm cutting off the opportunity for those who desire to regard themselves as us, as apostles, as those who are leaders in the church building up the body of Christ. He says they're false apostles. We've got false apostles, we've got false teachers, we've got false prophets. Is there a difference between the three? Not really. They're all the same. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And then he says, no wonder, because Satan does the same thing. He transforms himself into an angel of light. If you study the beginning of Islam and Mormonism, you'll see that they both had visitations from an angel telling them that the church was corrupt. So now watch what he says here. For Satan transformed himself into an angel. Therefore, so because of all of this, it's no wonder that his ministers, whose ministers? The enemy. How are they his ministers? He's deceived them. Do these people realize what they're doing? They might. We don't know. They could, they could very well know what they're doing. Some do. There are some people you'll see on TV that are on TV proclaiming the message of God for one reason. So you'll send them an offering. And they don't care about you. They don't care about God. So that might be the case. But it also might be people who what? Are deceived. Because they transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. In other words, they're deceived. And so they're propagating this message that has nothing to do with Scripture. Did God say? How did these people become in this kind of, uh, in this fashion, these false ministers? It's, it's did God really say? Look at the examples that we use. If you follow the history of all those people that we showed you over the last few weeks, they begin to question what the Bible said. Now, how do we know how to rightly divide the Word? We allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? In other words, when we have something, it has to line up with the rest of it. If what we believe does not line up with the whole of Scripture, then what we believe is incorrect. It has to line up. So from here, we see all of these different things. Did God say? That's what's happening with these guys. Now, let's look at this. Let's jump into Ephesians 6 because this is where I'm going today. I want to show you this. This is a passage you guys are all very familiar with. It is talking about the armor of God. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. His might, not your might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers in the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is why we rented buildings and airplanes to get up to the heavenly places where they're at so we can do battle. There's only one problem with that. How on earth did the apostles and Jesus do battle if there were no airplanes or skyscrapers? They found a way. All right. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. Now we will get into all of those different things, um, not in super in-depth, but I will address them so you understand what they are because there's a lot of misnomers about some of this stuff, but the number one thing that I want you to see here is we are strong in the Lord and His might, and we are to put on the whole armor of God. Now that implies a couple of things. You don't put on parts of it, number one. Number two, if you have to put it on, that also implies that you can take it off, right? Why would you put it on if it's already there? You ever walk up to your kids wearing shoes and say, hey, you need to put on your shoes? No. Why? Because they're wearing them. Unless they're my son. At any point in time, those shoes are coming off. It doesn't matter where we are. It might be a movie theater. It might be a restaurant. It might be outside. It doesn't matter. They're coming off and we won't find them later. That's all we know. Because we are standing against all these different things. But look at what verse 10 and 11 says. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So whose wiles are we standing against? The devil. What the heck's a wile? We ever thought about that? We read these things. We blow through these things. Yeah, I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil without knowing what a wile is. We never stop to think like, well, what does that word even mean? And why do I need to stand against it? Wiles, it kind of sounds like incendiary. You know, it's like, oh, that doesn't sound like a good word. Well, this word comes, wiles, translated here in English, is from the Greek word methodos. M-E-T-H-O-D-O-S. Now, meta means with. And odos, if I'm saying that correctly, means road. It literally means with the road. Okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We actually get our word method in English from this Greek word. So the method at which the enemy works. Now that makes sense, the methods of the devil. But the word method isn't strong enough here to convey the full meaning of what's going on. Because methodos, when it's often translated, is translated as cunning, crafty, subtle, are full of trickery. Those are four main things here. When it's used in this, this way, it plainly main, means that he travels one road using craftiness, using cunningness, using subtleness, using uh, that he's full of trickery here. He's got one road, one lane, one avenue. That's what this Greek word means. So in other words, against the ways in which the enemy will attack us, we have to have on the armor of God. So what does this mean? Well, we've got to answer four questions. I've got them up here for you. We're going to look at these over the next few weeks. Number one, where is the battle for you and for me? We can do battle on somebody else's behalf at times, but we all have to start inwardly. I cannot put on the armor of God for you. The armor of God protects me, not you. Okay. If I have a shield, 
And I put that shield up, and you're standing over there, it does you no good. That shield is intended to protect me. That's number one. Who or what are we battling? We'll address that another time. What is the method of attack, and for what purpose do we wear this armor? Now, we can simply answer these questions, and we, and we will, but we're going to go in more depth with this. But the one we're starting with today is where is the battle? Because the method that he's attacking us, we have to be able to answer, okay, if he does it, the, the way this reads is the same way every single time, we have to know where that comes from. So I'm going to give you the answer, and then I'm going to give you the reason we come to this conclusion. The devil mounts continuous attack against your mind. Everything that Paul's talking about in all these verses has to do with our intellect. What we believe. We've seen him use the example of what he did as a serpent deceived Eve. Well, how did he deceive her? Well, did God really say? How many times in life have you clearly seen what the Bible said and yet you still question it? Because maybe something didn't happen the way you thought it should. Or the outcome is not what you wanted. So we've got to understand the method in which he attacks. He's coming against our mind. We also have to understand who we're talking about. Because the word devil comes from two Greek words to make diabolos. Right? Diabolos is dia is through and it carries the idea of this penetration. And balo is I throw as in I throw a ball or I throw a rock. When you compound these two work, words, the act of repeatedly throwing a ball or a rock against something until it penetrates that barrier and breaks through to the other side. When you put those together, that's the idea being implied here. So when we see the word devil, one who continually strikes and strikes again, beating against the walls of people's minds over and over again until finally he breaks through and penetrates their thought processes. That's a mouthful. But think about it. It's just time and time again. When you're at a weak point, all of these thoughts are going through your mind. Have you ever had to have a hard conversation with somebody? And it's always later in the day, and your entire day, you're just constantly thinking about, okay, how is this going to go? Well, how is it going to be responded? And then you get into the conversation, and almost always it goes completely opposite of what you thought it was going to be. You know, it was just so much easier. Willie George would talked about he, 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 when he was young in ministry and they had a large church, you know, over 20,000 people at this point now. But there are times that you have to fire staff members. And he never likes to do that, but there is time that is necessary. And he said he'd always wait to the end of the day and just really hoping that the Lord would say, no, don't fire this person, all of that. And he'd get in there and he said the enemy would just play on his mind all the time. How could you do this to these people? They have a family, all of this other stuff. If you've ever had employees, you know that some of them are not good, right? Everybody's made a bad hire that's ever had an employee. Right, boys? Yeah, yeah, they're all pointing at Brett back there. Um, but, but anyway, but, but so he was sitting there, he's like, he would wait, and he'd get in there, he's like, oh, how are you doing today? How's your family doing? All this stuff. He'd finally get to the point. He said, after learning a few things and spending some years in ministry, that meeting was first thing in the morning. They'd come in and sit down. He's like, we appreciate your time, but your services are no longer needed here. Have a great day. And he just kept it that simple. Because he said the enemy would just pound on his head. Now, they always knew why they were being let go. It wasn't like that. But he said the point was is that we just had to do it. He said because the enemy would constantly just pound on him. So when we look at this, this just describes one of the many names that the devil goes by. But what Paul is urging the church of Ephesus here is to put on the whole armor of God. Because we are in this constant battle with the enemy over our mind. How do we know this? 
Where does this come from? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're staying in the same thought. Because you get it, remember, the context of a book, a letter, this is a letter written by Paul, he did not write it in chapter and verse, is everything that's going on. He's expanding on it later on. Verse 10, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay, So who's taking advantage here? Satan, right? He's talking about forgiveness. He said, you need to forgive. I've forgiven. You need to forgive. Forgive anything. And it's for your sakes. It's in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of Those Those are bold statements here because we're not ignorant of his devices when we look at this word devices it's nomata n-o-e-m-a-t-a it's the greek word it's insidious plots it's wicked schemes and paul is talking about the anguish that he had been through in these battles with the enemy and this it, sometimes this lack of forgiveness and he said the enemy is going to use that against you but where is that happening it's happening in the mind how do we know well if we fast forward to chapter 10 which we read a portion of but we're going to go backwards from there it says in verse 4 2 corinthians 10 verse 4 for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they are mighty in god we're doing what pulling down strongholds they're casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ now look at what these things are these are things that are against what? The knowledge of God, right? We're pulling down strongholds that are against the knowledge of God. We're casting down all arguments that are against the knowledge of God. We're every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. But what do we do? We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Where do the thoughts take place? I'll give you a hint. It's not in your foot. It's in your mind. You see, all of this goes against the mind. He has one way that he does this. And it all starts with, did God really say? You see, the way in which he attacks is he gets into our minds. Thinking about these people that I've talked about over the last few weeks, it all started with a question, a thought, an idea. Wait a minute, is that really what it says? And instead of looking for the answer in Scripture, they begin to look for the answers in themselves. I can't deal with the character of God who's meek, like Jesus. But you got this Old Testament God who is wrathful and angry. He's always ticked off. So surely, they're not the same. So let's come up with some ideas. How, how can this be the same? Well, maybe the Old Testament God isn't the Father like Jesus prays to. Maybe it's a different God. The Creator God is different. That's one idea that's out there right now. That's number one. Another way that we can this is, well, the Old Testament God was the Jews' idea of how they saw God because they just weren't enlightened like we are. But Jesus was the embodiment of God, and then we see Him as this meek and peaceful person. That's another thought. Instead of going to the Scripture and realizing that these were wicked nations who were killing their own children and were given at times over 400 years to repent and never did, Thus, they brought judgment on them. It's not that, well, they deserve it. We don't ever go there. It's always, well, I can't accept that kind of God. That doesn't make any sense to me. So what do we do? We start making excuses. We try to protect people from their Bibles. Because, oh, I can't, I can't wrap my head around a God like that. Well, then apparently you're worshiping the wrong God. And Jesus was not a flower child. 
Like, he intentionally made a whip and chased people out of the temple. And he didn't make the whip just say, hey, guys, look what I made. It was arts and crafts in Sunday school. And now could you guys please exit the building? What you're doing is not nice. No, he whacked them with it. In fact, I kind of wish I had one now. That'd be kind of fun. He was using it. He's flipping tables. I mean, he's doing all this thing. He's walking into Jerusalem and said, hey, guess what, guys? Your temple's going to be destroyed. Because you didn't recognize me when I came. Why was it destroyed? Were people killed in that process? Yeah, you better believe it. You see, we begin to question God because we don't take those thoughts captive. Because we have no discernment. We're not using the God-given gift that we have to be able to know what the Scriptures say and say, if I get a thought, if I get an idea, if someone says something, I don't care what it is, if it does not line up with the Word, then I will not accept it as truth. If I can get young people in the Lord, if they can just say, man, I don't know why that statement's wrong, but there's something not right about it, and begin to question it, and let's go to the Scripture. Let's do what Acts 17.11 says, where it says that the the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they heard the Word with all intent, but they went and searched the Scripture to see if those things were true. You notice in Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's talking about the Gospel, it wasn't that Jesus died and was buried and then resurrected. That's a pretty good day, but it was according to the Scriptures on everything. He gives us an example of all that we should do is according to the Scriptures. So the enemy is coming and attacking in our minds but what do we do one we put on the whole armor of God and two we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ you will not get off if you'll just stick to the word the only time we get off is when we no longer look at scripture and allow it to interpret it we look and say did God really say that or God I know this is what you said but let me tell you what you meant and we make all sorts of excuses instead of just saying did God really say That is His will to heal all. Did He really say that? Because sometimes people don't get healed. So, is that really what He meant? What's ironic about that statement is if it be your will, and that's usually where if God's will, He'll heal you. If it's all of that, is that it's never a question if it's God's will to save all. Never a question. Unless you're Calvinist, then you don't know which way's up. You might be in, you might be out, you have no idea. You see, prior to this, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10 and all these other passages in Ephesians 6, um, prior to this, he tells them, he said, keep in mind all of these different things. He tells them in, in, in chapter 4, put away lying. Speak truth with your neighbor. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, um, that does not mean what you think it is. Don't go to bed angry. That's what most of the time what it, what it means. Um, my parents believe that, so if I was mad at them, then they wouldn't allow me to go to bed um, until I was no longer mad at them. And I won't say that I took advantage of that fact as a child, but I may have taken advantage of that fact as a child. That is talking about, he's telling you to be angry, but don't sin and don't let the sun go down in your wrath. In other words, this is righteous anger. He says, give no place to the devil. He says, let him who stole steal no more. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice be put away from you. Why is Paul saying this? Because if you're living a consecrated life, that means you're devoting yourself to the Word. And if you're devoting yourself to the Word, when these ideas come in, you will not fall for them. You will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You won't have itching ears hoping to hear something that makes you feel good. You want the truth of Scripture and you will adjust your life according to what the word says instead of adjusting what the word says to fit your life that's the world we live in today and we need a church who will actually rise up and stand for truth in the face of persecution but we don't have that today we have christians with no foundation we have beliefs with no conviction 
We, we look past sin as if it's just like, well, that's okay. Why don't we hate sin the way that God hates sin? He hated it so much that He died to take it away from the midst of us so that we don't have to be slaves to it. You see, these people have gotten off because they questioned what God said. You see it all the time through Scripture. I mean, think about it. The Jews were in captivity for 70 years for one reason. They didn't keep the land Sabbaths. Every seventh year, they were supposed to have a year where they didn't farm, and they allowed the land to rest, and then it would recoup. That was one of the commandments that God gave them. Because they didn't do that, they were in uh, uh, captivity for 70 years. Because they looked at that commandment and say, yeah, maybe that's not what he meant. You know, surely he wants us to grow food. If we just stick to the Word, we won't come up with all these off-the-wall ideas. We won't come up with all this weird stuff. And we won't get off base. And the problem we have today is we have no discernment. It grieves me when I see good believers, people who love the Lord, get pulled aside into some false teaching. I mean, some of the stories of friends of mine that I, I shared with you, I mean, those are some. I've got others. Um, I mean, it breaks my heart when I see that. One of them is believing this universal idea that everybody's saved, it doesn't matter what, is raising four children. And what do you think those four children are going to believe? The exact same thing. And it, it breaks my heart because I'm sitting there thinking like, man, you are leading your children down a dark path because you've gotten away from the Word. Because you can't accept the idea of a God who sends people to hell. You know what else? I don't believe in that God either. Because He didn't send anybody to hell. He's given us a way out. We have got to stick to the Word. We can't be moved by whatever happens. We can't be moved by whatever we call a spiritual enlightenment or anything like that. We have to stick to the Word. I have seen so many people through the years that they'll, they'll leave a church and they'll just, because they're, they think of themselves more highly than they ought, let's put it that way, that they know more than the pastor or the elders or whatever the case may be. And then they'll go off on their own. They don't attend church. Sometimes they start their own church and they come up with some of these most off-the-wall ideas and many of them that I've known aren't truly walking with the Lord anymore because they, got, they allowed the enemy to get into their mind and start playing with their head. And then because of that, they got angry at the church, at a pastor, at an elder, at somebody at the church. I mean, pick anything that you want. And then they begin to follow their own desires. You guys remember the three things I told you about? I was listening to that podcast and an interview with an ex-high wizard in the satanic church. The three things that they used to bring down, they intentionally brought down churches, was a sexual component, a financial component, and the one that they used the most was gossip. And where does gossip go? Right into your mind. You start thinking about it. Guys, we've got to be above that. We've, we've got to understand how the enemy works. Where's the battle at? It's in our mind. If your mind is full of the Word of God, that when those thoughts come in, You'll take them captive. Look at Jesus' example in Matthew 4. When the, when the devil used two passages out of Psalms saying it's okay to do this, he turned it around and he said, no, do not test the Lord your God. He knew the word. We have to be there. So important. It's so important. 